Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery available in Regina at sassbeardelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the Internet's only in the CFL podcast. I'm Joel Gasson, once again this week joined by the CBC's Dan Plaster, as I believe uh, the usual John Fraser is on his way back to Saskatoon. I believe he's in Winnipeg as we record this right now. So... That is, of course, on uh, Tuesday, July 5th in the evening. So, uh, John, if you listen to this at some point, uh, we're not thinking of you. Hmm. <laughs> you don't even think of him when he's on the cast. No, and uh, no. <laughs> I mean, just no, no. It's, I mean... been, uh, it's been calmer around here the last couple of weeks as we've done this show compared to the way John likes to get worked up about things and sometimes says things just for fun, so... Yeah, he does, but that's the fun of it, and yep. that's why we love him. Absolutely. Uh, we got a few things to get to this week, of course. Uh, the Riders' big bounce-back win against the Montreal Alouettes. And uh, we're going to talk about what that game, what that win, what that win means for the team in English, and uh, what it may not mean. And uh, have they finally found an offensive identity under Jason Moss? Perhaps. Will only help them succeed? Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> And he has, I say, as I, I say that to my girlfriend, <laughs> <do> this? perhaps. <laughs> and um, because uh, Dan is always far more prepared than the usual co-host of this show, uh, he has come back with one of his patent and quizzes. I think this is the second or third you kind of thrown at me at one point. Yes, these I, times I remember where you the, filled remember, in for John. So <laughs> yeah, the movie one, and that got real messy. But uh, this one will be uh, quick, and you are going to have fun. That's all that really matters. But before we get to all that, it was kind of a fun weekend in the CFL. And uh, I think it's been a while since we've had sort of, well, only in the CFL kind of moments in the CFL. And uh, we've had a few of them over the last couple of days. I think, to me, the one that maybe stands out the most was uh, the start of the fourth quarter of the Riders-Alouettes game where uh, Craig Dickinson, you know, not always the most exciting of special teams coordinators in this league he likes to play it very safe you know worrying about coverage more so than return work but regardless uh he pulled out the old sort of onside fake field goal punt type thing whatever you want to call it and uh i'm here for it i loved it i th- i you know the execution would could have been better but with a pretty good kick i i think the play was there 
Matt, it was close. And I didn't really know the call because the player took off before. I guess he has to be grounded on the ground and touch, yeah, to knock it out of bounds. But yeah, I that, think the issue with Jake Hardy was like half was like basically over the stripe by the time he touched it, even yes. though he hadn't touched the ground yet. <laughs> but it was great. Like, first off, love Jake Hardy, more of him. Uh, secondly, uh, <laughs> it, that, and it was funny because uh, in another of the many, just like you, we have where most people in sports are king of the side hustles up in the uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Rider big screen Maxtron booth running replays. And I'm going this, and you could see something happening. And you can, when you see Hardy kind of split around and, and, and you're going, this might be something. And it pops up in the air. And I thought right away, I thought he had it. I yeah. thought instantly it was, it was great. The whole Maxtron booth buzz is like, this is awesome. And I, like like we said, I like when CFL coaches buy into the CFL. To the Absolutely. CFL, did you call it the CFLness? CFLness. It's, it's only in the like... CFL kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Like mm-hmm. like these are like these those moments happen. This is like truly one of them. Not just like a weird thing that happens. Like this is, you know, a unique rule that I think is incredibly fun and needs to be implemented more. Like I remember, I think it was twenty fourteen where the Red Blacks pulled off the onside punt on on the Riders and no one really knew it at the time because it happened so rarely that they called the play offside originally or something or they said they didn't recover the ball and then they went and reviewed it. And, like, that's kind of the last time I really remember one, like, other than, like, a, a normal sort of onside kickoff recovery. I've, it's the only time I really remember, like, a truly from the, either the field goal or the punt, you know, the uniqueness and the greatness of the onside play. And I think it used to be really predominant in windy days. Like when you yeah. have, and you would, you would see it a lot at old Taylor field where you would have two, I don't know, it would usually be running backs or receivers behind the punter. And as the mm-hmm. kick goes, it goes up in the air and they all go for it. But you're right. It's been, that's the one way I have only seen it. And I, I'm somebody will call us out because everybody that listens to this is probably smarter than we are. And they'll be like, no, you're yelling at your computer or your phone and going, no, you guys are idiots. It happened like three years ago in this game in week 17. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But yeah, the, the way we usually see it is just through the punt formations. But as a field goal, I kind of dig it. Yeah, I, I think it, it allows you to maybe be a little more precise with the kick itself. Like there was, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't executed, it was that close. Like a punt is harder to sort of nail down into that area unless you completely fool them and there's no returner in the area, which seems unlikely. <laughs> well, and I think it'd be harder now with the, well, maybe not. You might have more of a wide side to do it Yeah. with, a, with, with, especially with the field goal, you have a little bit more room to work with, but don't tell a punter. They're not precise with their punts. No, but I mean, in terms of like recovery, it's maybe oh, yeah. a little yes, more precise yes. than a punt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like, I, I think sometimes fake field goals are easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, because you're naturally a little more spread out. You kind of have sort of different levels of blocking already versus a punt where maybe you don't. And you could hide guys in the line easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the Riders were involved in another, only in the CFL moment. It was uh, Monday afternoon when uh, the emails hit all our inboxes saying uh, that the Riders had reacquired punter, global punter Jimmy Smith from the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, Comes out later, uh, Craig Dickens, and said that it seems like uh, both teams had pre, you know, preemptively agreed to essentially the rental agreement 
<laughs> where they would swap third rounders back and forth and the riders would eventually keep a seventh rounder for giving up Jimmy services for three weeks. <laughs> At least it's not as stupid as hockey as you end up being your own future considerations. Yeah. Or those guys that get claimed by a team, like two teams back and forth, like four different times. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and some like fourth line plug from the AHL for some reason. <laughs> yeah. But I, I understand it. And especially, I mean, is that a wrinkle of the global thing? I don't know. I It's yeah. It's just strange. I, I love it. It'd be interesting to see how he actually – didn't he actually play for Calgary for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, because uh, their normal punter, Corey Mace, whatever his name was, yes. was out. The guy who was probably the best punter in the league last year. Mm-hmm. Been out for a few weeks, so they obviously – the Calgary Stampeders, I guess, were interested in keeping the spot global in the meantime. So they're like, hey, you want to give us this guy for a few weeks? Sure. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> well, we'll send you a flyer on a seventh-round pick that may, or probably will never really make the roster. So – <laughs> yeah, the CFL draft. That's a whole other story of the CFL draft. I'll let you and, and John fight that one out. <laughs> Neither of us are real draft guys, and I think there's there are far too many people within the three-down nation umbrella of uh, contributors that are far too invested in the draft maybe for us to uh, speak too much ill will of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I will I will agree with that, but I go back. I mean, it, yeah, just wake me when they're actually on the field. Yeah. And when you're actually on the field is when, you know, other crazy stuff can happen, like missing the convert at the end of the game. Now, just They're not going to overtime. And this is, of course, the Toronto Argonauts on Monday night against Winnipeg when really Ryan did what he should have just gone for two in the win. That game last night might have been the strangest game I've watched in a, in a like The CFL has been great this year. Let's just get this out of the way. Yeah. CFL, solid start. Love it. Lots of, like... Lot headlines, lots of solid positive things, a lot of CFLness. But last night, between Boris Beatty doing Boris Beatty things and just destroying <laughs> that convert, and then Brandon Banks trying to pick a fight with an offensive lineman, his own offensive lineman in the sidelines, and and that to... weird touchdown that he had. Oh gosh, it, <laughs> like it was just. And I think the only thing that was disappointing that I wish TSM played more into it, but I kind of understand why they didn't. But I, I, you know what? They may have hit. They, I, I shouldn't say that. They did it enough. They showed Pinball Clemens going down there trying to do things. But the weird thing is just how focused Ryan did what he was on all of it. Like, sorry, through all of it. He didn't even like go back there and see no. what was going on. He, he was just so focused on his offensive coordinator duties. He didn't even pay attention. No, he had the apparent keeper of the peace now in Chris Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a twist yeah. I didn't see coming. <laughs> Ask us that. When was Chris here? It's, it, it, we got it 20, oh, boy. That was in the Chamberlain era, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it would have been, yeah, 12, 13, 14. Man, he was intense. He was, and yeah. Uh... <clears throat> one, that's one way to put it, yeah. Yeah, yes. Maybe he's mellowed. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe he's been through some things now, and he's, uh, you know, I don't. Know, I have a hard time believing that he has that he's mellowed that much. I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe under his breath he was just swearing up a storm at his offensive lineman. But yeah, Chris Sweet, peacemaker, more CFLness right there. Yeah. What a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, the Riders, of course, they had their uh, big rebound win over the Montreal Alouettes, allowing them to keep pace and just what's turning into be a completely r- ridiculous West Division right now. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about kind of what the offense is evolving into. And then, uh, yes, we are going to play a little game. Uh, but before all that, as usual, I uh, almost called you John. Dan for the Palo Bowens Brewing Company. Uh, what's in the glass this week? I am glassless. You were glassless. Glassless. I, I always forget I always forget about that. This is one of the biggest parts of the podcast. And I apologize to Palo Bowens Brewery. Um, I failed immensely. I might have to consider a new backup co-host <laughs> <laughs> i don't know who that would be but uh <laughs> i it, well somebody actually could i there's beer in the fridge i just as i turn towards the fridge the beer is in the fridge <laughs> now that i'm just attached to my computer i, I, I can't get it that's never stopped john before <laughs> it's true, yeah, just, i've heard the clock i've heard the clock of the headphones yeah uh for me uh i picked up on sale this week uh trying something new out of the uh Iron Bridge Brewery out of Lumsden, Saskatchewan. Mm. Uh, they have their Pirates Paradise IPA, kind of their take on sort of a more old school, still a little hoppy, but more sort of a, on the malty side IPA. Uh, mm-hmm. Not bad. Needs a little bit of work. It's got some time to go, but uh, that's that's pretty standard for a lot of new breweries at first. It takes uh, takes a little bit of time for the uh, recipes kind of to get dialed in, but. Um, it feels like they're on the path here to something. Uh, I've had some other friends of mine try some of the other beers and have been, uh, they said they've quite enjoyed them. So there's that. That's great. I, you know what? Good for Lumsden. They got a lot of good things going on in that little, the little hamlet just north of the city. The home of the great Jamie Nye. Oh, Jamie. <laughs> so yeah, the Riders, uh, they got back on track on... They actually played on Saturday. I watched the game on Monday because I was in Toronto over the weekend. So I had to kind of retract my steps. I'm like, so when did they actually play that game again? All right, Monday night. Yeah, Sat- <laughs> Saturday night. That's when they actually played that game here at Mosaic Stadium against the uh, Montreal Alouettes. A team, of course, they lost to the week before. Uh, when Dan, when we said on this very podcast that it really was not time to hit the hit the panic, bu- panic, panic button. And I think it's uh, it's fair to say that they've backed that up with what was overall a fairly steady and solid performance against uh, their Eastern uh, Eastern opponents this week. A lot of things to like. Uh, I think well, you will get into the actual X's and O's into it, but just as a complete 10,000 foot look at it, I like the fact that they just stepped on their throat. It mm-hmm. was nice to have a commanding win and just cruise through and, knock their lights out. And I think that was one of the big things for me, just in a very superficial way of looking at things to just, yeah, punch their ticket and move on to the next week. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's something they haven't always done against, mm. you know, sort of equal to lesser opponents. And it's something you, you, know, you expected from time to time, you know, teams are going to give you, you know, a good game. It's professional football at the end of the day. That is so even the worst professional football team is you still usually fairly decent. And, so to be able to, you know, put one away fairly early, you know, they had their, you know, it was a little slow at times, maybe in the first half, but they eventually figured it out. But I think even in the first half, or as, you know, they were down a bit at times, they really found their groove in the third quarter, obviously, and that's what everyone remembers. But I remember even thinking in the first half, as I'm watching back at this game, and I think it's telling you some of this too, was like, I still liked the process of what I saw at times in the first half. The execution wasn't quite there, but... Mm-hmm. Like, what stood out to me most, especially in that first half, was after the first turnover of the game, 
Cody Fajardo went white to Duke Williams down the field, which we haven't always seen from this group. Now, it didn't work out, and then, you know, they kind of had the miscommunication between him and I forget who. On the second down on the pass, it kind of went nowhere, but they were both kind of shots at trying to keep the momentum from the turnover going rather than, okay, here's a turnover now, let's run for two yards, and then who knows what's going to happen after that. Instead, they came out, they took their shots, they, you know, tried to build off it. It didn't quite get there, but... You know, football is a game of process, and I think if they continue what I saw in the first half at certain times, you know, the execution should hopefully eventually get there, and I think that will make a big difference for this team. Yeah, because in the past it was, yeah, jet sweep, bubble screen, punt. And yeah, to take shots down the field, especially without his security blanket in Shaq Evans, because he's always been the deep shot guy for Fajardo, mm-hmm. but to actually hit Schaefer Baker keep on going to to Duke Williams and trying to get everybody involved and trying to get try to get some of the, some more of those bang plays and just stretch out that defense and I you kind of alluded to it even though it didn't work it kind of did work mm-hmm. because it set things up for even later in the game where they are able to hit some underneath stuff because everything is stretched mm-hmm. and and I think Everything, instead of chasing, it just kind of rolled into each other, and that was a very, very good game plan. Yeah, and for me, I would say overall in the game, I, what we've taken away from them, because I think you know, out of two of the four games now, uh, we'll take out what happened last week against Montreal. That's one of those throwaway games where you just kind of get beaten, you move on from it. Mm-hmm. First week against Hamilton, you know, week one, a lot of weird stuff happens, so you maybe don't read too much into that. But when you take a look at the Edmonton game and this past one against Montreal, I think kind of the key thing that we're finally farting, start farting, starting to see from Jason Maas and this in his offense is that there's an identity to this offense for the first time since he's taken over as the offensive coordinator of this team. I think for the longest time, I think all last season, we were kind of looking for what they were beyond what you said, the sort of bubble screen, the hitches, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think what you're seeing now is a team that, maybe isn't necessarily the most explosive, isn't going to throw it all over the field and score 55 points a game on you. But they play, I think, fundamentally strong, heavy football mm-hmm. to sort of take up hockey term to a degree where, you know, I think they're showing why they had faith in Jamal Morrow, why they went, let William Powell go beyond sort of other reasons why perhaps Powell got let go or was allowed to go back to Ottawa because he clearly brings something, you know, on a lot of different levels to the offense. But they're kind of slower, they're a little more methodical. They're going to run and they're going to wear you down rather than sort of throw it all over the field and be, you know, the fireworks explosion team. There's a discussion to be had about how successful that is in the modern CFL, but it is at least something we can point to now to say, okay, if they do this on offense, they will be successful. Yes, and it's the building blocks to something. And I'm going to, I hate giving positivity to this man, but it's the Bill Belichick way you play. And I was, I had, when you said heavy football, that was exactly what I was thinking. You play heavy football. And if you're able to be, if you're able to move the football that way, it also allows you to be a little bit more dynamic with that heavy football. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to hit on big passing plays, it doesn't matter if it's to, to Duke Williams who can block as well and play that heavy style of football, just cause he's, he's big, but even like, Morrow can block too. And I think that's another reason why he's there. And it's, it, it, it just opens up more 
and you're able to really push around the smaller defenses that so many of these CFL teams have. And if you're able to push around a defense, they might try to go a little bit heavier, and that's when you really start pulling the trigger. So maybe things are just the building blocks to something. Uh, this is kind of like this would have been I, – I last – Saturday was like the true week one of the CFL season to me. Cody Fajardo now has three games under his belt, like what you would have in the NFL. This is the first full regular season week of the season, and it it looked really good. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, you know, it opens play action. It opens different mm-hmm. things. And I think what it also does on the other end of it, too, is you're dealing with an offensive line without Dan Clark right now. You know, it's always been said, and I believe it, that – you know, young offensive lines, perhaps maybe the not the best offensive lines, or even the best offensive lines, when you let them run block for a while, that really gets them into the game and gets them, you know, more aggressive and gets them moving forward rather than, you know, you're always constantly backing up and trying to protect. Meanwhile, now you have sort of that aggressive mindset in your head as the offensive lineman, even if you do eventually not run as much, that mindset has still kind of been in there all game and you've worn down the defensive line to the point where, okay, now we can go into protection mode a little bit because these guys can't come at us as, as hard. Yeah, two things. You mentioned protection. It's easier to call out those line calls because yeah. you could call that in the in the, in the the huddle for that run play or the simple pass plays out of it. But two, you even mentioned it. Again, an offensive lineman loves going north more than they love going south. Mm-hmm. And run blocking is fun. I don't know how many like Jeff Schwartz is the big one on Instagram and Twitter, the former NFL offensive lineman and now analyst for college football. He will always say, show me an offensive lineman and I'll show you a guy who loves to run block. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that really buys into that and it's a good run blocking offensive line. And again, it's the building blocks and it, and it's kind of funny when you see that kind of an offensive explosion that we're just saying it's kind of building block type of thing. Yeah, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. I think that was, but that was sort of the takeaway from that game for me. And but it was still an important win for the team as well. Now it's not, it's not a win that we're going to look back on in November and say, well, had they go, you know, they go on to the West Final or they win the Grey Cup, it's like, well, it's because they won that game against Montreal. No, but I think ultimately. A loss in this game would have been a gigantic red flag and considering how tight the West is shaping up to be would have been a serious problem for this team at this point because, okay, now all things considered equal, you know, teams have had equal rest and, you know, there's been multiple days to prepare for it. Everything's on equal footing and you still lost to this team again then that's 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 a big problem. Winning didn't didn't solve everything for this team, didn't, you know, set them on the path to great success this year, but it certainly kept them from falling off the tracks, you know. Sort of the old saying, you can't win a golf tournament on Thursday, but you can lose it. It's true. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. It's yeah, a, a, a catastrophic loss and just another notch in the belt for a win. That's fun. That's funny. That's it's just kind of that's that's your week 4 5 6 talk right there. Yeah, so, and then, of course, this week coming up now, they kind of got, you know, another one of those games, right? Like, they play Ottawa this Friday night at home, and it's one of those games where it's like, okay, you know, given the state of Ottawa right now, they probably should win, and if they lose, I think there's, I guess depends on how they lose, but if they lose, it is a bit of a concern 
because the West is just on another level right now. And it's funny, I remember a lot of discussion before the start of the season, and you and I even talked about it a little bit as well. I think it was more so hopeful from our, our end, more so than we thought it was going to happen, was there was discussions of the potential, maybe an Eastern team will cross over for the first time ever. Well, <clears throat> I think Ooh. it's safe to say that's not going to happen at this point. It's ugly. And it goes back, it even goes back to, we. I think as far back as to the first week after free agency, how everybody's talking about how well Toronto did in free agency or how well Hamilton did to kind of dust things up a little bit in free agency and, and, and even Ottawa as well. But again, any team that wins free agency, it's so rare that they actually win overall. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you look at the rock, maybe Calgary, maybe exclusive, I don't know. Like Winnipeg and Saskatchewan are pretty much the same core. Yeah. BC kept a lot of the same core, especially offensive linemen and slowly building to something and say what, say what the offensive line. I think it's every team's offensive line. They tried to keep it pretty solid and pretty consistent. And that's kind of where things build out. As we always say from the line out in football. And that might be the big reason why those teams are so good is their interior play. But I know we were hopes and dreams was mm-hmm. the East to be better, but I don't, I have no clue how ugly this is going to be because if no. it continues like this, this is going to be just disgust. Well, there's only four losses in the whole West division and three of them are in Edmonton. And Edmonton is looking a little better every week. Like if they are not, I would say your typical one in three team at this point, even. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of they're just kind of there by happenstance because of just the, what the rest of the division is right now. Yeah, it, and, and oh, I, I feel like I can't say I feel bad for them, but <laughs> they're they're like Texas A&M that just came from the from the Big Twelve and hey, we're gonna be good. And no, you're just you're just not you're not gonna win a championship <laughs> because there's Alabama and Georgia and and all those teams that are always so good. So. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. It is the, the the West Division is the SEC, and I guess it does just mean more. So I had to. You had to. I mean, we had to get at least one college football reference in on this episode. Oh no, right? there's more coming. <laughs> well, I mean, before love... before oh. before all that, like when we were actually talking about you know current events of football. <laughs> oh, oh yes, current events, not realignment. Maybe there needs to be a realignment in the CFL. Maybe. So if the West is currently the SEC. Hmm. Who would you say is the East? The Mac. They're the Mac. <laughs> you have the Toledos and the Akron's of the world. Uh, and some of them do play on <laughs> Tuesday night. They do. Action. <laughs> Let's have some action. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Argos have played some Monday nights and some Wednesday nights over the years. <laughs> also, I said this and you kind of rolled your eyes. I like the Monday night game. Before I didn't mind. I don't mind the Monday night. I, 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 I prefer it to Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, I would still be fine with them playing Sunday games before the NFL season starts. For being mm-hmm. frank, rather than Thursday. Um, but there was something to be said. I know there were some people, some CFL Twitter types, talking about it. How, you know, we can you, know, you can talk about Argo attendance and what it would would have been regardless. But when you saddle the Argos' first two home games with a Thursday night. And a Monday night after the long weekend, you're That's not rough. exactly doing them any favors either. <laughs> and 
so yeah, you could complain all you want about the state of Toronto. The league just put him in that spot. I mean, and I don't, I don't know if that's what the the powers that be at Toronto wanted. Uh, the scheduling thing in the CFL is such a mystery to me to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, that's. And, I, I, and it's also the first few weeks of the season are so weird because yeah. I don't know if I would have – would you have put rivalries off the hop? Would you have had Winnipeg and Saskatchewan to start the season or Hamilton and Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Calgary, Edmonton? Is that kind of how – would you have done that off the hop? It's something to consider. Like I understand that they want to load up sort of with bigger divisional games down the stretch. But, I mean, this is in the NFL where you only play teams in your division twice and you play everyone else once. There's, you know, there's multiple games against your yeah. division. And I think there's, you know, I'm kind of following. And I know they're leading a little more this way as, you know, like the Riders aren't going to Ottawa this year. So there is a little bit more of, like, an unbalanced schedule, which I'm kind of in favor of if this league can ever expand. And so I... I you know, I think the argument could be made for maybe at least, you know, one game a week at the very least. Maybe even just week one, just load up on these rivalries and create a buzz. Because I think both ways, for both Western teams and Eastern teams, there's more of a buzz. The attendance is better. The fan atmosphere is better when you're playing, you know, teams in your own diver- division versus crossing over and playing someone in the other division. Yeah, it just built that momentum. They don't even necessarily have to open with, like, your biggest rival. So it doesn't have to be Saskatchewan and Winnipeg in week one, but maybe Saskatchewan's at least playing Edmonton or something. And yes. Toronto's playing Montreal or something. Like, two teams are at least within your own division. You save, you know, the marquee Labor Day, Labor Day rematch games kind of for that time, unless it's one of those years where they play three times. So, but just pick some teams that you would at least play with in your division to kind of ramp that up a little bit rather than just... Well, here's the week one rider opener again against Hamilton for like the fifth straight year. I agree. I mean, they had something going with Winnipeg opening the season because I remember 2017 when they opened Mosaic yeah. Stadium when Weston Dressler caught the game-winning touchdown for the Bombers, and that was how they opened Mosaic Stadium. And, yeah, I guess I guess you would have the Grey Cup rematch and a couple division rivalries. It would probably be the best scenario overall for that but yeah, I just found it a very confusing scheduling start to the season for sure. Yeah, and they've always seemed to do this. Like I again, I understand wanting to make you know sort of the last few weeks of the regular season very division heavy, but mm-hmm. I think you can spread it out a little bit more so you don't necessarily have this slow start to kind of the season every year in terms of buzz and excitement. Mm-hmm. They, they, they just that like frankly, just a a you know a Riders Red Blacks game just doesn't quite hit the same as like a rider stamps game not at all speaking of games oh i guess it's time we've kind of are you ready i'm ready I think okay. based on where we're at on the clock it's probably a good time to uh to turn the page a little bit here i think we've kind of talked about what we wanted to out of the, the cfl this week so let's end this run of dan plaster on the greencast uh with uh, with his little game that he always likes to play before uh, we welcome john <laughs> back next week okay <laughs> it is CFL head former CFL head coaches and where are they now? You t- you you basically stole this from who did this recently? Was that full cast? Absolutely. <laughs> but they did it. They did it to. Uh, they they would say it was. Uh, we're former. Yeah, we're former head coaches are and I think the one I remember is Joker Phillips and another former. He was the former Kentucky head coach, and somebody else are like 
offensive coordinators, of course, at some SEC school. So, yeah, that, I, I stole it, mm-hmm. and I love it. And, <laughs> and I'm going to start off with an easy one. Are okay. you, I, I'm going to say their former CFL team, where they're currently – okay, so – how would you want to go? Do you want to hear the former CFL team and where they're currently coaching and you guess the coach? Or do I name the coach and you guess where they're coaching? Oof. I don't think I'm going to do well either way. I have a <laughs> bad memory for this kind of stuff. <laughs> okay, I'll name the, the, the former team and where they're currently coaching. Okay. All right, we'll start off with an easy one. Saskatchewan head coach in 2007, Hamilton in 13 and 17, currently – the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the least favorite team in all of college football, the Liberty Flames. Oh, I can't believe he's still there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, of course, Kent Austin. Hey, I don't have a sound effect. I'm sorry, but ding, ding, ding. Yes. Uh, let's see. Number two. Uh, this coach won two great cups with Winnipeg. He is a former head coach of Canada's team in the NCAA. Oh, God. And is now the current head coach of the USFL's New Jersey Generals. That, that's not Bart Andrews, is it? That's question three. So you already oh. have to. <laughs> I'll give you one. So, yeah, we're going through this fast. So uh, what other? He also coached Nebraska. I don't know. Mike Riley. Ah, yes. Of course, Mike Riley. All right. I, so, I, I remember some of the names of coaches in the USFL, but I couldn't tell you where they are. <laughs> so you got Bart Andrews right. Uh, the, uh, the USFL championship game loser, the head coach of the Philadelphia Stars. He has a wide receivers coach named Marcel Belfay with him there too. So um, hmm. Yes, he was with Hamilton, right? Yes. Yes. That's where he's most famous. I like other spots too, I'm sure, but that was like his most notable CFL stop. I'll give you another easy one here. Saskatchewan Rough Riders head coach from 2000 to 2006. His current stop, Houston, Texas. Houston Texans in Houston, Texas. Running back. <laughs> the running back coach for the Houston Texans. That was uh, 2000. That was, was that Danny Barrett? Correct. Hey. Because yeah, it's important to realize that like my CFL knowledge pre moving to Regina is not super strong, but I vaguely remember watching those neon green teams a little bit <laughs> as, yes. a, as a kid when I was younger. <laughs> hey, you've got three or four so far. You are doing very, very well. We're on we're on the training wheels web questions though. Still. <laughs> um, okay, now we're going to get a little tougher here. Uh, former Toronto Argos head coach from 2012 to 2016. Uh, I guess he was the Eskimo, uh, sorry, the Elks, then Eskimos head coach in 2020. Now he's the quarterback's coach with the Indianapolis Colts. That is Scott Milanovic. Oh, look at this. Four of five. I told you you're going to get at least half of these, right? Yeah, you did say that before. I don't, I don't know if there was an actual line on there somewhere, if anyone could have bet on that. <laughs> now, the next three all have a theme. Mm-hmm. The first two really have a theme. This man was the head coach of the Hamilton Ticats between 2004 and 2006, and he is 
the current head coach of the defending Vanier Cup champ Western Mustangs and has been there since 2007. Is that Greg Marshall? Yes, it is. Ding, ding, ding. I was like, I feel like it's not like that Greg Marshall, but it's Greg Marshall, right? This man is the former Riders head coach in 2011, one season with the Riders, and is now the current head coach of the University of Toronto Varsity Blues, and he has been there since 2018. That is, you will not see the last of Greg Marshall. Yes! So I have it down as as no mustache Greg Marshall and mustache Greg Marshall. (laughs) See, that was the year before I started covering the team, and I definitely remember, like, the big deal of the press conference after he got fired and he was like, you have not seen the last of Greg Marshall and you you pretty much did. Yes, you have. <laughs> oh, you are killing it. One, two, three, four, five, six is seven so far. You've, yeah, you've killed it. Okay. Question number eight. This is a longtime CFL head coach with stops in Edmonton between 2001 and 2004, Calgary between 05 and 07, Montreal, in 2014 and 2015 and is currently the University of Alberta Golden Bears defensive coordinator. <sighs> oh, who is that? You're going to kill yourself. That's, you're, just, you're going to smack yourself in the head. Oh, I'm sure time. I will because I should know who was the Alouette's head coach in 14 and 15. Mm-hmm but it's slipping my mind right now. In three, two, one. I don't know. Tom Higgins. Ah, yes. All right. These last two are beauties. (laughs) This one, actually, you'll probably get right right away just because of where he coached in the CFL. Uh, Montreal Alouettes, head coach between 08 and 12. Argos head coach, 17 and 18, and is the current head coach of the XFL's Tampa Bay Vipers. That is the guy who is uh, apparently the the architect of all offense in the CFL and Mark Tressman. There you go. Oh, man, you got... Oh, boy, you have seven of nine. And now this is the hardest one, and you're going to laugh who it is. Okay. He was the coach of the Montreal Alouettes for just six months in 2013 with a stellar record of two and three. And he is now the current head coach of the University of California, Davis, uh, Aggies, who lost in the first round of the FCS championship to South Dakota State. And he is also a former radio host. I remember mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's and, any... I don't and, think... He's cra- and he's crazy. Yeah. Oh, what's his name? It's not Dan Hawkins, is it? That wasn't that. Yes. That was him. Okay. Yes. I, I'm like, I know the Alouettes have had some, a couple of very short coaching since lately, but I felt like it was Dan Hawkins. Yes. <laughs> Eight to ten. What's up? There wow. you go. You apparently severely underestimated me. I, I, well, I did underestimate. I thought you were going to get five or six, but that was, oh, I mean. And all of them, once we actually got the answer, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. Yep. <laughs> well, I didn't want to go too far back because it, it's funny when you look back at a lot of the other coaches. Mm-hmm. That they, it, Any coach from 2008 on, still coaching, except for Court Chamberlain. That's the only one that I, I can't find where he is. Wasn't, right he, wasn't he on one of the USFL staffs this year? 
I feel like he was. Oh, man. Like, not in, like, any sort of super prominent role, but I feel like he was somewhere in the USFL. I I, I was just more surprised when I saw Marfel, Marcel Belfay. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, that was – and and, and it's um, – and it's funny because there's a couple of other Canadian coaches within that that whole that whole thing. And I, I just looked at yeah, it, three down nation. Corey Chamberlain, defensive backs coach for the USFL's Birmingham Stallions, the uh, champions of the USFL. Well, there you go. Hmm. So you could have brought out our old friend, you know, Corey Chamberlain on that one if you wanted to. <laughs> it is, I, I should have done. Oh, now I regret. Regrets. But yes, he is. Uh, a ch- he has a champ. He now has a Grey Cup ring and will soon have a USFL championship ring. He is a champion. That's today. Uh, that's a small minority of football people that would have those two rings. <laughs> that is a very small. Jim Mora? No, he never won a, a Grey Cup because he won the old USFL back in nineteen early eighties. But I think that might be it. Wow. There you go, 8 of 10. <laughs> the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.